Amen. Please be seated, everyone. Thank you so much, worship team. Good morning. Good morning. If you have a Bible or you've got a cell phone, turn to John 13 or John 18, our, our theme uh, this morning. Our title of today's message is, Later You Will Understand. Uh, later You Will Understand. Let's, let's take a moment before we start. Let's, let's take a nice deep breath and let's be still and silent before God and you know, silence and stillness, which we recommend a lot, you know, on a daily basis, it's a way to just unhook ourselves from the world and hopefully be a bit more reflective and thoughtful uh, in our lives. So let's just, let's just close your eyes and bow for a moment. Let's just take 30 seconds and open up our hearts and minds to Jesus. So, Lord, you are correct in saying that humans do not live by bread alone, but we need every word that proceeds out of your mouth. And so, Lord, may we be fed today from the richness of Scripture that we may hear your voice, the living God, to us in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Thank you. Later you will understand. Now, I don't know if you remember, in August uh, last month, uh, there was a, in JFK, there was a report of gunfire in Terminal 8. Uh, it happened at 9.34 p.m. And uh, it set off a wave of panic in Terminal 8 at JFK. Uh, there, were, there was actually multiple stampedes of people you know, running down hallways and busting through doors. And uh, one person wrote, you know, I, I heard the screams of the crowd coming at me and, and they said, they're, they're coming this way, they're coming this way. And, and one woman said, the agents screamed, there's a bomb. In fact, some agents took off their, their, their like, coach, you know, so no one recognized them unless they get in trouble and kind of moved into the crowd. That was very interesting. There's all kinds of articles written about the panic that set in uh, into Terminal 8. And then it spread to the other terminals. And so you had people diving like this, you know, under, under chairs and, uh, and under luggage. Uh, one woman wrote this. Now, she's at a different terminal, too. At this point, it's spreading from terminal to terminal. And she says it's 10.30, and she's sitting there, and someone yells, shots! And everyone started yelling. She goes, I dove under the desk like everybody else. Then this guy came running over, and he's shouting, they're coming, they're coming, let's go this way. And she goes, and 80 people uh, came running around a corner and broke through a door to get out to the runway. And she just went and joined them, you know? She goes, oh, my God, what's happening? And so what it turned out, all it was was they were watching Usain Bolt's 100-meter dash at a bar, and they, they screamed, and someone thought it was a shot. And it just kind of spread, you know, for the next couple of hours into all kinds of chaos. And there, and there you go. Thank God you were not at JFK that night, huh? But they've written a number of articles about the anatomy of fear and panic that just you know, spread, and without any grounding in reality. 
And, uh, and so we are surrounded in that climate ever since 9-11, of course, um, you know, this, this, this kind of a panic mentality. But add to that just what's happening externally in our world. Everything from the uh, political crisis and the refugees uh, crossing the Mediterranean uh, in uh, Europe. Uh, oh my gosh, the wars in the Mideast and parts of Africa. Uh, you know, the U.S., just, just this whole political season is enough to put panic into anybody, you know, in, in the United States. And, and so we've got these external fears that the, you know, newspapers make money on giving us fear. And then we've got internal fears that we're all carrying. You know, we're, our futures and relationships and money and health and our families and the future, all that stuff. And, and so what happens is we, get, we become very controlling because we feel like life's spinning out of control. We get overtaxed to people and things. And, 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 and our lives end up being not reflective at all but filled with turmoil. And so yet at the same time, God brings us here and, and calls us to, 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 to follow him and he's seeking to bring us to a place of rest, a, a place where we're letting go and relaxed, a place where we're actually experiencing peace and, uh, and we're actually attached to him, nothing else. And so uh, today, we're going to talk about discipleship. You know, we're launching into the year here, and uh, we're here because, you know, we're, we're here because we want to follow Jesus and be, be his disciples. And, and, but I think we often don't think uh, well or, or fully about what does it mean to be really a Christ follower? What's this process that Jesus leads us into as disciples? And so today we're going to look at Peter, the Apostle Peter. He was like the head of the 12 apostles. And uh, a lot of information is given about him because as we watch his life, we see ourselves. We see a lot of ourselves. And we learn a lot about what does it mean, uh, what's going on around us, and what is God actually doing. So again, Peter is the story of us all. I mean, he, he's a lot like you. He's a lot like me. He's impulsive. He's headstrong. He likes to be in charge. He's bossy. He's what we call today a control freak. And uh, he's got a lot of his own ideas about what it means to follow Jesus. And he lets Jesus know those ideas every chance he gets, you know. And, and uh, you know, how many times we got to forgive people? Seven times? You know, and Jesus correct them, you know. And we see him doing things like jumping out of boats and, and uh, you know, denying Christ three times. And, and, and so we see him actually here in John 18 when Jesus gets arrested. This is the kind of guy he is. Judas comes to the garden guiding a detachment of soldiers and officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They're carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. So they're coming to arrest Jesus. Jesus is going to get crucified. Peter's not excited about this idea of a cross and a death. And so Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. I mean, do you realize this guy is dangerous, all right? I mean, you want this guy on your team for sure. But I mean, thank God he didn't cut the guy's head off, all right? But, but his guy's leading the church. I mean, we had a big problem here. But it gives you a sense that, you know, his panic or fears lead to aggression. You know, it leads to violence, but obviously Jesus' way is not the way of violence, the way of the cross, the way of suffering. And, but, but Peter likes to be in charge. Do you like to be in charge? You know, I'm in charge. That's Peter. I'm in charge. Jesus is there, but I'm in charge. I'm following Jesus, but I'm in charge. And if I've got to cut someone's ear off, I'll cut their ear off. But well, this is the way we're going. And really, it's, it's the great essence of Genesis 3 and sin. But our passage today, and I, I want to actually get to this, this verse, verse 7, that's in yellow. It's really our theme for the day about what, is it, you know, what does it look like, this process of being a follower of Jesus? What, what's God doing? And I want to use this passage here of uh, Peter's interaction with, with Jesus. And it's a passage in John 13, beginning of verse 4. When he, Jesus, got up from the meal, he takes off his outer clothing and he wraps a towel around his waist 
And after that, he poured water into a basin and begins to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but you, later you will understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. There's Peter telling him what to do. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And then good old impulsive Peter's like, all right then, Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and head as well. Let's take a bath. You know, he's like, Peter's just like out of control here, you know. But you see, what's, what's important here is that, you know, in, in ancient times, uh, when they did foot washing, uh, it was only done by slaves. Now, in, in the first century, they didn't have sewer systems and sinks and modern plumbing like we have today. So the sewerage actually went out, out into the houses, went out into the streets. So smell was quite, you know, acute in the first century. Then you had animal excrement as well. And so you just try to imagine the smells of, of, of streets in first century Palestine. And so when you went to someone's home, your feet were going to be washed. And it was done by slaves, the most menial servants, the lowest of the low. And what's happening here is, I mean, here's Jesus. God, he's God. And, and he's washing Peter's feet. Now understand that there's never in ancient literature, according to scholars, there's no recording up to this point of someone who's a superior or greater washing the feet of someone who's an inferior or lower. So you don't have, for example, a Roman centurion or Roman general washing the feet of his soldiers. You don't have any examples of a rabbi washing the feet of students. You don't have examples of even, you know, a boss, you know, bosses with employees or husbands with spouses. I mean, you've got this, you, you have very much a very significant hierarchy there. And, and for Jesus to do this is so outrageous, okay? It, it's so out of the box that Peter says, actually, literally what he says is this. No, it, here's what it says in the original language. He goes, no, you will never, ever wash my feet, ever. Man, basically, hell will freeze over Jesus before you wash my feet. I mean, that's how you would say it today. And uh, it's a super emphasis in Greek, okay, in the original language. No, not ever will you ever, forever wash my feet. Peter is giving the orders here and making it clear. Now, it's, 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 it's amazing, isn't it? So the question is how, I mean, Peter, I like to call Peter, Peter is like a, he's like a bull in a china closet, all right? And, and, and he's just like, he, he, he's dangerous. And yet, he's the guy in charge. Now, when Jesus first meets him, his name is Simon. And the word Simon means shaky. Like, leaning. Like, unstable is what his name meant. Impulsive. Okay, he was Simon. Jesus meets him and says, Peter, I'm renaming, I mean, Simon, I'm renaming you Peter. And Peter means rock. Solid. Everybody can depend on you. Now, I mean, you look at the stories we just read about Peter. He is not a rock. The guy is unstable. The guy is a bull in a china closet. Now, the question is, how does Jesus move him from this, Simon, unstable, undependable, impulsive, to a guy, to Peter, who's a rock that actually is leading, do you realize, he leads the church in the book of Acts. He, he, the first dec few decades, he's the guy in charge. I mean, I don't know if you're, if I'm Jesus, like he, I, I would not let him, I'll tell Rich, do not let that guy Peter lead a cell group, a small group. Man, he's just, who knows what he'll do. It's crazy, okay? Keep him close to home where you can watch him. But Jesus puts him in charge of the whole church. So the question is, how could a guy like him undergo such a transformation? 
And here, the, here's, the, here's the key. Jesus says to them in verse 7 of chapter 13 of John, you do not realize now what I am doing. But later, you will understand. You do not realize now what I am doing, but later, you will understand. I mean, basically, Jesus takes control of the situation. So I want you to think with me for an, a minute. Think of an area of your life where you are struggling to understand how God could allow this to happen to you. I want you to pause and think for a moment, all of you. Think of an area where you are struggling right now to understand what's happening around you. Like, wh why is God allowing this? People, places, you don't know what's going on. You all got one? You don't know. Peter, Peter doesn't know what's going on there. Pause right now and think, I don't know what's going on either. So it may be something as simple as, hey, God, I don't, I don't know why my work and my career life is so hard. It is not working out the way I imagined. Uh, why can't I get the job that I would love? Why, why can't I get my goals reached and my dreams and my ambitions that I worked my whole life for? Why aren't they happening? It seems to be happening for other people. Or, you know, as one person said to me, you know, I was told I could do anything in life, and she was a young girl in her 30s, and uh, now she says, you know, I'm in my 30s, I, I racked up a lot of debt, no one, I didn't think about it, because I never thought I would have a debt so big, it's going to be 10 to 20 years to get out of it. God, why would you have allowed this to happen to me? My whole life has shifted as a result. You know, employment, some of you have been let go suddenly in your job. It's like, I don't know, why would you allow that, God, for me to end up unemployed in this abyss of not knowing what my future is going to be. Or you've made some mistakes and had some failures, and now it's like I'm on plan B, and it looks like my life is ruined. God, how could you allow this to happen? Why didn't you stop me before it even happened? You could have, you know. Uh, or, or, or maybe it's you're, you're single and you're waiting. You'd like to meet someone and, and, and marry at some point, but it hasn't happened. And you're saying, God, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up to be a widow or a widower either. And uh, I don't know what you're doing. Uh, or perhaps you're a parent and your dreams of what your children were going to become uh, has not happened. Uh, whether it's physical disabilities or emotional or choices they made, you're like, God, I, I don't know what you're doing here uh, or why. Or again, we can go on health issues as well. So we're talking about what... what the Bible talks about trials and it talks about dark nights, okay? And it's kind of a scale. There's little trials and there's big ones that we call dark nights here at New Life Fellowship that was coined by a guy named John of the Cross in the 1500s. And I like to call it like, the scale of like 1 to 10. Like, trials happen like every day. Little things happen, right? I got a parking ticket, another one, you know. <laughs> subway stuck, we're sitting there in the dark, you know. Someone ignores me at work you know, or says a nasty comment. They're little trials. They happen all the time, don't they? Um, and, and they go on scale, but then, then there's a, the, the big ones. And uh, you don't live life for decades without having significant, what John of the Cross in the 1500s called, dark nights of the soul, or dark nights of loving fire. Things that happen that turn our world upside down. That happen to us. Things like a divorce, or a, fa you know, a failed marriage or a betrayal of someone you trusted. Or, you know, a, a death of a friend or a family member that was very close to you, very unexpected. 
or a disillusioning church experience that you were deeply invested in, or a, a dream that truly got shattered and is not going to get picked up again. Uh, again, a car accident, infertility, you know, very common of just waiting, hoping, and just the agony of that. Limits are one. It, it, limits are something every person encounters. I mean, there's. I mean, we resent God's limits. I mean, our, our weaknesses, our temperamental weaknesses, our personalities. You know, as you, as you get older, you realize that you cannot maintain anything in life. As you get older, you realize that you will let go of everything. The day you die, you will let go of it all. I mean, I'm very aware, you know, I was a basketball player in high school, and it's amazing getting older, you know. I, I used to play full court basketball, if you know basketball, and then you get older, you realize, oh, I can't play full court anymore, I can only play half court. All right, you play now, you realize, I, I can't play half court anymore either. Oh my God, I can't, and I can't drive to the basket. Uh-huh. I said, all I can do is shoot now. And I broke my wrist, and I can't even shoot. <laughs> I can watch other people shoot. You know? <laughs> I have a friend who's a therapist. He works with professional football players. And he talks about how many commit suicide after they retire from football. And he goes, because they can't accept the limits of their bodies anymore. They're not in the stadium with 100,000 people screaming. And they don't have any ability to integrate the fact that they can't maintain what they did before. And so rather than go through that, they'd rather just die and kill themselves. So the great verse of Jesus here is that you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. You don't understand now. You, don't, you, don't, you can't possibly understand it, Peter. But I'm, I'm breaking you. I'm, I'm, I'm doing something in you. I'm transforming you. I'm, I'm doing this because I love you. And uh, you see, God's ways are not our ways. I mean, first of all, have you found out yet that God's ways are unpredictable? That he does not do things the way you think they should be done, when you think they should be done, how you think they should be done? He says his ways are higher than ours, his thoughts higher than ours. Deuteronomy 29, he says, the secret things belong to the Lord my God. They're not revealed. Some things are revealed, others are not. But there's a truth here of what God is doing and how he works, and that's this. The only way to grow up, the only way to mature and to be transformed is to stay with Jesus through the dark nights of the soul, through those most difficult moments where you don't know what God, what he's doing and why. And everything in you is like screaming on the inside. Um, there, there are no exceptions to this. And I, one of the brilliant, you know, a book is a classic when it endures for hundreds and hundreds of years. Okay? There has not been a book written since the 1500s like John of the Cross where he expounds on this whole theme, and he basically argues this. He says that it's all true, that this is the ordinary way you grow in Jesus. This is is the way you grow in Jesus. There are no exceptions. This is it. Now, it's not very American, bigger, better, faster, quicker, but it is biblical that the only way we mature and grow up in Christ is by staying with Jesus when everything in us wants to run through the Bible, what we call dark nights of the soul. It's it's basically a two-edged sword of God cutting into your being to purge out of you some things that have got to be changed, to take you as a bull who's a bit shaky and make you who you really are. God has a new name for all of us, for you. God's got a new name for every one of us in this room. He's got a call for your life. He called you to himself. He loves you so much. He came to earth in a person of Jesus, and he died for you. And he brings you to himself, and we become Christians. He marries us. We're one with God, and he loves you so much, he is going to work with you and in you and around you to bring you to a place where you live into your new name, your destiny, your calling to be a blessing to the world. But he's going to bring you there, and you can rest assured of this, 
everything in you is going to fight it like Peter every step of the way. Because we're all Peter. And we don't like it. What are you doing? Never, Lord. And, and, and we, but he slowly, over time, begins to get inside of us and pull out of us things that got to be pulled out of us. And uh, I, another way to look at it is, think of weeds in a garden, okay? And, you know, you can mow over the weeds. And uh, on ground level, it looks beautiful. You know, it, it, it's well tended. The problem is the roots of the weeds are underground. They're in there. And so you can, in a sense, polish up your behavior on the outside. So I'm, I'm going to be more patient. I'm going to be more loving. I love you, you know, and I forgive you. You know, you do, you do the, you, you will it. And memorize the Bible verse and all that. And, and you kind of, you mow, you mow the lawn. And on the outside, it looks okay. But the reality is it's coming back. Because the only way to get at those deep things is that root's got to be pulled. And that's what John of the Cross called deep, deep, dark night of the soul. There is no other way for that to get pulled out of you lest God do it and you allow him to do it. So you're envious of other people. When someone gets praised that you can't stand, you're like, ah! You know? You, you can't rejoice. You're just, it makes you get depressed. Well, how's that envy going to get pulled out of you? Dark nights of the soul. You're impatient, irritable, and judgmental. You say, God changed me. Oh, he will. He will. But not the way you thought. He is going to purposely put you in situations where you are not in control. It's called dark nights. And he's going to slowly rip that out of you over time so you can actually become a loving person. You know, many of us, we follow, we don't follow God. We follow our good feelings about God. There's a big difference between the two. And John of the Cross has this great cult chapters on it because many of us have a spiritual sweet tooth. We love the feelings that come with following Jesus. Worship, you know, and the word, and fellowship, we're like, yeah, you know, and, 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 and John of the Cross makes the point that God, at, at certain points in your life, he's going to remove those good feelings, and you're going to feel nothing. You're going to come to worship and look around and say, why are these people so happy? I'm miserable. I'm praying. I feel like I'm talking to a wall. God feels 10,000 miles away, and all of a sudden, your feelings for God are gone. And he goes, God has to do that to you. You know why? So you don't follow your feelings for God. You actually follow God. It's a huge difference. He goes, that's maturing and growing up. You love God for God. You don't love God for the gifts he gives you. Well, to get you there, he's got to bring you through some dark nights. And see, the temptation, as he says, is some of us, we keep running after those feelings because we think this is the worst thing that ever happened to us. And he goes, you're basically, in running for the good feelings, is you're actually running from God. Because you're not growing, you're not maturing, you're not allowing God to do this in you, so you actually become a person who is on fire for God. See, the image he gives here is, is a log that is on fire. And, and, and you know, we don't, when, because our tendency is to run away from the cross. We run away from being vulnerable, we run away from being out of control, we run away from letting go as a way of life. And, and he says, it's like a fire, you're a log, and God brings this fire to you, a loving fire, to burn out all those impurities, the jealousies, the impatience, the hatreds, the unforgiveness, all that. And he goes, and bring you to a place where you can have deep communion with God. It's a way God enlarges your heart 
you can actually have the kind of depth relationship with God that, in a sense, you were, you were made for and you dream of. And in that process of loving fire, he says, what happens is your taste buds get changed. In other words, your appetites right now may be, I want the world, I want power, I want money, I want fame, I want all these things. And you're like, oh, you know, jealousies. And he goes, dark nights, when you lose control, you're in that fire, he goes, what happens is God begins to rewire your taste buds. And you actually lose taste for things of the world, and your taste buds change where you yearn for him like a deer pants for water. You long for scripture. You long for worship. You long for God. A yearning is birthed in your soul. You said, where'd that come from? And the answer is it came from God. But to get you there, he's got to bring you to a stripping and pull out of you some things and burn out of you and burn out of me some things that is just painful. So again, you don't realize, right now, think of your life, you don't realize, Jesus says, you don't realize now what I'm doing. But later, later you will understand. Now there are moments we don't understand until we see him face to face. But most of the time, we see it years later. We get it. Yes, it makes sense. God, why you allowed that? You know, I remember a season I went through uh, where I was, I was very sensitive to, acute to all the sufferings going on in the world. And uh, why God allowed suffering. And... Um, I, I thought I wasn't going to make it through it. I'm a high feeler. And for example, I feel deeply for what's going on in the Mideast, the church in Syria and Iraq. We have vibrant churches there that go back 2,000 years. Tremendous churches there. And these churches are getting wiped out by ISIS. And you've seen the pictures. And Christians killed. And hey, what? Oh, God, you know. And if you're a high feeler like me, you can go down a road and say, oh, my gosh. And, and it can become a dark night. And I remember, well, that's a couple of years. And I didn't know if I would ever make it out where I just leave Christianity, it was early years. And I don't know how it happened, I just stayed in there with them, I stayed, you know, I continued on, and my feelings for God were gone. But I remember over time, I just, I didn't have an answer to the problem of evil, I still don't. But I did have this, that God is good, and his love endures forever. And that God is sovereign, and he rules and he somehow is weaving all this for good in his larger purpose. And that I may not know, but I can trust him. And I don't know how it even happened for me, but it did. And I was able to just put it aside and not, not knowing was actually okay. Because somehow I, I didn't have to believe in God. It's like I knew God. I just knew him. I, you're good. It's okay. I can let it go and relax. So you don't have to go into the dark night. You, you can choose not to. Now, sometimes it happens to you. Um, but you're also invited into it, and then you choose. So, for example, Judas chose not to go into the dark night. You know, a lot of space is given in the New Testament to Judas. You ever wonder about that? Like, why are you talking about this guy so much? We got the point. He betrayed Jesus. He is a creep. But, but he keeps getting the space because it's very important that we look at him and you see an example of probably the world's greatest wasted opportunity. And if by, not by the grace of God goes all of us. But Judas was with Jesus for three years, but he said he didn't like this idea of a cross, not knowing what was going on, dark night of the soul, and he basically quit. He just, he got out. And, uh, you know, I don't know, what would Judas have become if he had stayed with Jesus? What, 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 we don't, we'll never know. You know, some Christ followers, some people just say, no, Jesus, I don't know where you're going, but I'm not going. I'll go when I understand where you're going. I'll do your will as long as it's my will but I don't like this. And so there are people sitting in churches that basically stop the journey 
and they're here and they're singing, but they've gone lukewarm. So I, I, we were in Asia a uh, week and a half ago, two weeks ago, and we were talking with some leader, Christian leaders that work good 90, 100, 110, 15 hours a week. And we were talking about Sabbath and slowing down and being with Jesus and some were married and kids and, and basically, you know, slowing down for God. They were all like, absolutely. But then they said, if I do, I could lose my job. If I, I, I know it's right, but if I go down that, I can't control what's going to happen with people's view of me, pressure of me, and I could actually lose my employment. And so there's a question of choosing to, where the dark night's going to go. Some of you know what it's like to be at work, and you choose integrity, and it costs you a promotion or it costs you your job, and you end up in a dark night. We choose a dark night when, for example, you know you've got some deep stuff to work on. Someone comes alongside and says, you know what, you need to go to a therapy. You need to get some work maybe with a mentor and dig out some of the roots of this stuff that's deep in your life that goes way back to family of origin, generations. And people say, oh, hey, that, that, that. no, not me, man, not me. I'm not, because it's going to be a dark night. Now, you'll come out the other side, but I'm not going. And just staying stable on the outside, but not going there. For you singles here, young, middle-aged, older, uh, you can join the hookup culture that's going on around us, or it is a dark night to say, all right, I'm going to follow Jesus and wait on him for a healthy relationship in his time uh, and bear with that rather than jump out. Same with forgiveness. I don't know about you, but the few times in my life where I've been hurt very deeply, I have been very tempted to say, uh, I'm not going I'm I'm to think about it. I, I don't want to think about it, and I'm not even going to go down the road of asking God to help me forgive that person. It's too painful. And so I'll shut it down. Versus the choice saying, okay, God, I do hate that person, but you love them. <laughs> and so, Lord, I ask you to change me. And I ask you, Lord, and it's a revelation of my own heart how ugly it is in there. But to go down the road over a period of a year or two or three years for God to actually change our hearts to be able to forgive that's a dark night of the soul. And some of us choose, I don't want anyone to go down that road. Same thing with getting, I mean, some of you come out of addiction, whether it's, you know, you know, it's, you know, you know, it's any kind of addiction, whether it's porn or drugs or alcohol. And to get out of that and start getting help is like going into a dark night versus I'll just medicate myself. I'll manage things, I'll keep it together, but I'm not going to go into a pit here. So again, we make choices to allow Jesus to stay. Now here's the beauty. What makes Peter great? Here it is. Uh, you know, he understood, okay, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later understand. What made him great was, one, he stayed with Jesus when it felt lousy. We are invited by God to stay with Jesus when we don't feel anything. When, a, when we want to run, we want to get out. Uh, I, I like what John Calvin calls, he remains, he calmly waits for further light to come in his time. And then secondly, he patiently perseveres in spiritual practices. He stays in community. He stays in prayer. He stays listening to the words of Jesus. You see, when we stay with Jesus and it feels like a waste of time, that's actually when God is invading us in a significant way and changing us. I, I'll be honest, my growth seasons in my life have not come in mountaintops. They have come in valleys. When I didn't feel like I was growing, I look back now, those were my big growth spurts. It's when I was in these dark nights, when it seemed like I'd lost control, I didn't know where he was going, everything in me wanted to quit, but I stayed in community, we need each other, I just kept doing 
The spiritual practice, even though part of me wanted to just scream and run, uh, it's when I grew. When God seemed farthest from me, when God seems furthest away from you, it's actually when he's probably the closest. And I think I'm going backwards, we find out we're actually going forward. And so, here's my question for you. Here's here's one way to live life. It's striving. It is striving and getting crazy. And as you move through life. The second is, I put the oars down. And I actually, I don't try to control everything going on around me. And actually, I'm still before God. And I let him change me and I let go. And I keep doing my spiritual practices. I keep moving forward in community. But I recognize I don't know what's going on. I am not in control of this thing. But I'm going to stay with you. Do you know, if you look at scripture, how did people become great for God? It's like Peter. How did Peter become this great man? He went through these dark nights. He, he stayed with God in these very difficult moments. And he learned this. He was not a guy who lay down like that in the boat. Joseph. How did Joseph become a man who fed nations? In Genesis chapter 20. He, he went through years of God reshaping him. Same thing with Moses. He was 80 years old, 40 years being wrestled with God, of being reshaped on the inside. The same thing with Daniel. And so let me invite you again, pause and think about right now, what's an area where you are struggling to understand how could God allow this? Now I want you right now to take a moment and say, God, how could you allow this? And I want you to hear these words from Jesus. You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. And so you'll hear Rich and myself and Craig over and over again, we'll talk about the importance of time alone with God every day, of silence and stillness and scripture to actually pull in the oars and to let the current of the love of God carry us. I mean, Rich and I were talking between services. We're not sure it's possible to actually have our will broken or self-will melted into God's will without silence and solitude, without that component in our lives. The world is living like a stampede at JFK Airport. That's what's going on around us. And the Lord invites us out of that to be reflective and thoughtful and ponderers, and to get out of that into this. So let me have the worship team forward. And I'd like to take just you know, 30 seconds um, and just to kind of open up our hearts before God. And I wrote this prayer. I, I, I rarely do this, but all week long I found myself writing a prayer out of what's my prayer for you uh, and for me around this text of John 13, 7. And here's what I, what I wrote, and I you know, set us free, Lord, from our fears and our attachments to the world. Free us from our false selves, from our fear of what others think, and from all that is not you. Set us free for the journey into the darkness that is light. To stay with you through the valleys where you unite our will into your will. And grant us the grace to relax, to trust, and to surrender to your love and your goodness. So I invite you to bow your heads for a moment. I want to invite you to trust Jesus 
to the area where you're struggling to understand how could God be allowing this? Why is it so difficult, Lord? And hear the words of Jesus. You do not realize what I'm doing now, but later you will understand. So, Lord, take us all in this room. You see us. And you see, Lord, the new name that you have for every one of us. The destiny, the future, the plans, the joy, the life, the freedom that you died for. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help every one of us in this room. Grant us the grace to let go of control of being in charge. To let you be in charge. And Father, may you mold every one of us as individuals and as a community to be such a gift for the world, for the glory of your name, just like Peter was, that the world might know that you are God and that there's none like you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, let's all stand, everybody. Amen. I want to invite the prayer teams to come forward. So as we close here, uh, you know, I love when Jacob, Genesis, he says this, he was going through the middle of a very difficult time and he realized, oh my gosh, God is in this place and I was not aware. Our prayer for you is that you too will realize, oh my gosh, God is in this place where I am right now and I was unaware. And so at New Life, our greatest goal for you is to be aware, oh my gosh, Jesus is working in my life. I had no idea. So as we close here, just you know, downstairs, uh, there's a big uh, fair of all the different tables of small groups to connect with and different ministries. We want to encourage you to go buy that and check it out. Because part of staying with Jesus is staying connected to community. As we seek to be discerning what is Jesus doing in my life, we're helping each other do this. We're not alone to do that. And we need each other. And there's also that Emotionally Healthy Relationships course, which is our, our found, one of our two foundational discipleship classes. It begins in October. Uh, downstairs as well, you want to sign up for that. So our prayer teams are here to your right for, to come. And we need each other. I mean, like, I, I know a number of you, you don't know what's going on. You're in valleys, you're in dark nights, you're in difficulties, and you're struggling, and that's normal. And God set it up that we pray for each other, that we're, we're like, we're holding each other for grace and for power to stay with Jesus. I want to invite you to come for prayer. And, uh, you know, God will meet us here. And the Lord's table's here as well to eat and drink of Jesus. I like to think of it this way is, you know, we're here, and I'm going to invite you to open up your hands up towards heaven like this. If you can imagine your heart is like a, you know, or your soul is like this big, you know, and God is through challenges and difficulties and dark nights, He expands us. He expands our capacity to receive the immense love He has for you and His power. But, but He's got to expand our capacity. He's got to empty out the junk so He can pour in Himself. But there's got to be that process of emptying and then His invasion. So with your hands open, I want to speak a blessing over you as we close and our altar teams will be here. 
So may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you. And so may the Lord enlarge your heart, may he expand your capacity right now in the name of Jesus. And may he pour out his power and pour out his love by the Holy Spirit and invade every crevice of your mind and heart and soul that you, like Peter, would be transformed from the inside out and might live into your new name, into your destiny, into your calling, that as you leave here, your life also would be a blessing and a gift to the world for all of your days. So be blessed as you leave here. Receive his tender touch that you might be able to give it to others. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. Thank you, everybody.